This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Well, we've seen some powerful examples uh, from this text um, of the authority of Jesus Christ, and we're going to continue that theme this morning because that's Matthew's continued theme as we go through here. Now, we've talked about the leper and we've talked about the centurion. So I'm going to come back on some of that this morning. But I ask Zach to read the whole passage again because uh, just to me it just really helps <laughs> kind of get the force of, of uh, Matthew's emphasis here when you take all of these together. I'll point out once again, if you look at the end of chapter 7, uh, and so it was, verse 28, so it was when Jesus had... Ended these sayings, that's referring to the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, that the people were astonished at His teaching, for He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, as we have it today in our Bibles, um, Matthew gives us uh, an example of the authority evidenced in Jesus' teaching. That is, His his very words spoken carried with them evidence of His authority that even uh, the unbelievers could pick up on. And Lord willing, I'll come back to that in a moment. That's going to be primarily what we talk about. There's more than just hearing with the ear, the physical ear. And now Matthew gives us examples, as we've seen, of his, how His authority works out in His works. His doing wonders for the people. And these are not uh, miracles without purpose. He's not, it's not a show. He's not, he's not out to prove what He can do. He is revealing things about His own nature and character. He's, re- he's revealing John, uh, God to us, as John tells us in uh, John 1.18. No man has seen God at any time, but... His Son, the only begotten Son, has explained Him. How did He do that? Well, He came in the form of a man in flesh and put God on display for us, as it were. So we see the authority in His teaching, and now we see it evidenced in His acts. And still here, um, there is an emphasis on the authority of His Word. Not not in, in teaching in the sense of, okay, I'm laying out doctrine here, but but in His Word, in that when He spoke, when He said, when He commanded, it's done. So, for example, again, authority in His works. The leper comes to Him with an incurable disease and says, uh, makes a great statement of confidence here, Lord, if You are willing, You can make me clean. He knows that Jesus has the ability. What He's not sure about is, is Jesus willing and Jesus says very simply, I am willing. <laughs> Be cleansed. Boy, I'm so thankful for those passages. I am willing, Jesus says. Again, He's revealing to us the heart of God. I am willing. Be cleansed. And He touches him and speaks, I am willing, and He is clean. And then the centurion comes and um, begs Jesus for, uh, for healing for His uh, servant. Jesus immediately responds again, uh, I will, I will come and heal him. Verse 7, 
And we talked about this a little bit last week, the, the incredible uh, humility and faith of the centurion uh, that came to him. He says, he's not worthy. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. He comes with great humility. Now, this is a Roman officer. So this is, this is not something um, you would think of. This kind of humility is not something you would think of as being characteristic of a uh, Roman officer. As a matter of fact, it looked down upon in Roman culture, period. But he understands that he's not worthy of Jesus' very presence. And then he makes a great statement of faith here. He says, if you just speak the Word, just speak the Word, and He will be healed. That's verse 8. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. And uh, as I pointed out last week, or Wednesday night, I think it was, those two things, they go together. Humility and faith. You You don't really have genuine faith in the Lord, apart from humility. And Jesus heals with a word. He heals the centurion's servant. That's verse 13. In his, uh, he says, Go your way, and as, as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So, what we are seeing here, what Matthew is bringing out is this um, emphasis on the authority of Jesus and His confrontation with the world. And so I want to, uh, again, notice, notice that, Jesus' authority on display and the response of the people. And that's going to be important for us as far as, uh, as, far as application. There are different responses from different people. Generally speaking, the Jews did not believe. Now, this is interesting to me because, again, uh, I think uh, this is a point worth making, they, they, what they saw and what they heard, you know, they were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one having authority. What they heard and what they saw was undeniable. So, um, we're not talking about someone who hasn't heard and seen. That's quite amazing, isn't it? Because oftentimes we, we tend to think, if, if this person over here, whoever it is, you know, maybe somebody we're wanting to witness to or whatever, if they could just see for themselves, if they could just, as Thomas said, thrust their hand in his side where the sword went in, if they could just see the holes in his hands where the nails were, if Jesus would just come and speak to them personally, or if they could just see, and I've heard, heard this said, if they could just see the terrors of hell, they would repent. Well, these are people who saw up close and personal God in the flesh. They heard Him speak. They were astonished at His teaching. They recognized that He spoke as one having authority. They saw Him do miracles that they could not deny. And yet, generally speaking, they dismissed it all. And it's true to this day. Generally speaking about the Jews, they do not accept Jesus as Messiah. They dismiss Him. Uh, Some 
think he was a good teacher, but certainly not a Messiah. On the other hand, you have those who believe. And uh, we have an example here before us of a Gentile in this centurion. But remember, most of the ones who come to faith here are Jews. So we're not saying that all the Jews rejected Christ, therefore all the Jews were lost. That's, we're going to look in a moment at, at verse uh, 12, and that, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying every Jew is condemned to hell, or we don't want to go away with any kind of attitude like that. What makes the difference here, whether Jew or Gentile, is belief. And that's what Matthew's keying in on. What Jesus is keying in on. The centurion comes and he says, um, my servant's sick. He's dying. Come, come and help. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. The centurion says, I'm not worthy. You should come under my roof, but only speak a word. Because he has confidence in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. So he believes. He believes so much so that, that again, he comes in humility, submitting to Jesus for who he is. So there are two responses, unbelief and belief. Now, let me come back to um, Jesus' response to the centurion. First, we talked about this the other, the other uh, night uh, when Jesus marveled. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, that is when he heard the faith of the centurion, the centurion says it's only necessary for you to speak a word, and then he gives an explanation for why he understands that. I too am a man of... Uh, under authority, and I have men under me. So I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to this one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He's saying, I, I understand how authority works. And he's also saying, and this is what's all important, he's also saying, Jesus, I understand that you have this kind of authority. When I say to my servant, go, and he goes, when I say to my servant, come, when I say to my servant, do this, it's because I've been vested with a certain level of authority. And, and so I have the, the right, the authority to do that. And they obey. And what he's saying is, Jesus, I understand that you have such authority that you can just speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now, that's, that's an amazing statement of faith. <laughs> especially, um, well, look at it this way. Here, here we are in the 21st century. We're looking back on these things. So we have the whole New Testament that tells us about the authority of Jesus Christ and how His power operated in His, his uh, miraculous healings and so forth. In other words, what I'm saying is we, we have a lot of evidence to um, reinforce and build our faith, right? This centurion didn't have the benefit of all that. He didn't have the, the benefit of the completed written Word of God. So it's, it's an amazing statement of faith. I know what he's saying is, I know that you're able to do this because I understand your authority. 
And so Jesus marvels at that statement. And uh, certainly, we should as well. And he, and he responds this way, verse 10. Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, I want us... Jesus is directing these statements to the Jews who, who don't believe on Him and probably more particularly to the religious leaders because He does... I say that because He does so often... Uh, single them out and speak indictments toward them. But generally, to, to, the, to the Jews there who don't believe, the children of Israel, that he's calling here the sons of the kingdom. We'll talk about that in a minute. But as far as application, by implication, this, this is true of everyone who rejects Christ. Uh, the, the things that he's going to go on to say here. So he says, I've not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, stop right there for just a minute. We, we've, all the way through Matthew so far, and this is going to continue to be the case, there's been a spotlight, as it were, on the kingdom of heaven. And this is what uh, Matthew, in giving his gospel account, is explaining how Jesus uh, brings in and demonstrates, um, initiates uh, the kingdom of heaven, along with the demonstrations of, of uh, his power and so forth that, that, are, um, that foreshadow what we will know when we, when we enter in to the eternal state. And we've seen, for example, in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount, characteristics of the children of the kingdom, right? Characteristics that, uh, incidentally, seem to fit this man, the centurion, you know, because he comes in humility and submission to Christ. And that's the kind of thing we were told in the Beatitudes. That the children of the kingdom are meek, they're poor in spirit. They hunger and thirst for righteousness and so forth. They're peacemakers. So there's been a lot of emphasis on the reality of the kingdom. And it, it raises a reasonable question. Who's, who's going to inherit the kingdom? Who will these people be? Who are the kingdom heirs? Who's going to, let me say it this way, who's going to populate the kingdom of heaven. Well, Jesus says in verse 11, Many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's, he's giving a, a familiar picture there, familiar to the Jewish mind. When, when we get into the eternal state, and it's one big banquet, as it were. Or sometimes we like to say, Family reunion, right? It's just because we think of a lot of times family reunion just, just, just being a good time of fellowship and, and getting to, to sit down and be with people that, that you don't typically have time to be with throughout the rest of the year and so forth. So, so we think of that as just being a great time, a great time of fellowship and catching up on everybody. That's kind of the picture Jesus is painting. Here you have Abraham and Isaac. You've got all the Old Testament saints 
And, and this, again, is a picture the Jews are familiar with. And they picture themselves as entering in and finally sitting down at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In other words, they're, they're thinking of themselves as the rightful heirs to the kingdom. This picture that Jesus is painting is a picture that they would view themselves in. And certainly not the Gentiles. After all, they're the sons of the kingdom, right? Verse 12. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out. There he's referring to the physical descendants of Abraham. The Jews. Chosen people of the Old Testament. So he says, I'm telling you, here's how it's going to be in the kingdom. Here's who's going to populate the kingdom. There, there are going to be many who come from east and west. He's meaning the Gentiles, the, the very ones that the Jews think, oh, there's, there's no way. There's no way they'll enter in. He's saying many of them are going to come. from east and west, and sit down in fellowship with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Who will be cast out of the kingdom? Verse 12. Now, again, you, you, just, you, you kind of have to think about how shocking this would be to the ears to the minds of the Jewish people that are listening to Jesus. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out, thrown out, cast out. The idea here is cast away from, apart from the kingdom, cast out of the presence of God, literally thrown out, kicked out, we would say. The sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. Now, this can potentially raise a problem. This, this kind of language. We, we've been talking a lot about children of the kingdom, or you could say sons of the kingdom. Those who will be heirs to the kingdom. And then Jesus plainly says here, the sons of the kingdom will be kicked out. What is He saying? The heirs of the kingdom will not be heirs of the kingdom? It wouldn't make sense, would it? When, when he uses the phrase sons of the kingdom here, he is, he is identifying the Jews. He's referring specifically to the physical seed of Abraham. The people of the old covenant. God's chosen people. The Israelites. The Hebrews. The Jews. The very people who are convinced they will inherit the kingdom are the ones Jesus is saying will be thrust out of the kingdom. Now, think about this for a moment. Because this has um, implications that, as I said, are applicable to others as well. I want to be clear. What Jesus is not saying here is that all Jews are condemned. 
I'll go back to my statement I made a little earlier. Generally speaking, generally speaking, the Jews rejected Christ. So that's why he can refer to them in general terms this way. Um, the sons of the kingdom, meaning the Jews, generally speaking, will be cast out. Not every Jew. And again, generally speaking, the Gentiles will come. They'll come from east and west and north and south and sit down at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, again, he's not saying that every Gentile is going to be saved and every Jew is going to be lost. But he, he's using general terms. Their thinking would have been every Jew is saved and every Gentile is lost. So you have to understand, for, the, for them, um, this is a very shocking statement. The idea that any of Abraham's seed would be cast out of the kingdom, denied fellowship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for eternity, and of course, uh, more importantly, denied fellowship with God, cast out of God's presence for eternity. That idea... Um, Shocking to them. What is it, though, that really makes the difference? If it's not about ethnicity, in other words, if Jews can be saved and some are saved, why does Jesus say here that many, if I can paraphrase it, because um, I think that is the proper way to understand it, that many will be lost? In fact, I think it would be safe to say the majority. and many Gentiles say. What is it that makes the difference? Well, what is it that Jesus is commending here? Faith. Faith. Belief. Belief. The centurion has just made a faith statement, as it were, concerning the authority of Jesus Christ. Revealing some understanding there, and I don't know how far it went. I can't, you know, we just have to speculate, but... Revealing some understanding there of who Jesus is. So while others, for example, those in his hometown are saying things like, isn't this son of Joseph? Isn't this the carpenter? Or some even going so far to say, you know how he does that? You know how he casts out demons? He does that by the prince of demons. While they're saying things like that, this centurion is making a profession of genuine faith, confidence in the power, in the authority, meaning the, the person of Jesus Christ. The difference is faith. The difference is faith. Now, before we leave this, these verses, uh, I just want to kind of think about this <laughs> a, little, a little further here. The sons of the kingdom the Jews. These are the people that God called out from among the nations in a miraculous way, right? Started with, with one man. We, we mentioned it in Sunday school this morning. God comes to Abraham of Ur of the Chaldees and He says, Abraham, Abram at the time, but He tells Abram, leave your country and leave your family 
And you're going to go to a place that you don't even know, but I'm going to show you. And eventually he says, I'm, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And all of that, of course, is feel, fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. But through the course of all that, the Old Testament, he, he brings them out, calls them out, separates them unto himself from among the nations, gives them his revelation. And he told them, I haven't, I've not spoke to any other nation like this. Takes them out of Egypt, sets Moses over them, speaks to Moses face to face as a man speaks to another man, and literally writes his own words out for them with the finger of God, we're told in the Scripture. Here's who I am and here's what I, here's what I demand. Here's what I want. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The summation of the law. But in all of the law and the prophets, the books of history, poetry of the Old Testament, God is revealing Himself, making Himself known primarily to this people. And so by the time you get to Jesus' day, you've got hundreds of years of generations coming up, worshiping in the temple, participating in the ceremonial rites, doing the sacrifices, reading the book of the law, memorizing it. They were not ignorant people. They knew God's law. He gave it to them, just, just like we have it here. In fact, we have that as well, don't we? Genesis to Malachi, that's the Old Testament. That's what they had. He, he gave them His Word. Told them who He is and what He's like. What does that say to us? Is it possible to be exposed to God's revelation and miss it? Is it possible to memorize Scripture, to attend church? I mean, in their case, it would have been synagogue and temple worship, but in our case, it's church. Is it possible to attend church, to attend worship services week after week after week after month after month after year after year and not know Him? Is it possible to be deceived into thinking that you're in right relationship with Him when you're not? Is it possible to have all of these things that God has provided so that people can know Him and draw close to Him 
and enjoy Him. Is it possible to have all those things right at your fingertips and really be ignorant of who He is? So much so that if He walks up to you and speaks to you like Jesus did to these Jews, that you don't recognize Him. Suppose you took a poll from those who were standing around listening to Jesus that day and you said, How many of you here are going to heaven? How many of you know the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel? How many of them would have said, Yes, I do, I am? Probably every one of them. They they had all these blessings, all these things God had given them right there at their disposal. His word. True worship. I mean they had the temple. This wasn't pagan society with you know, a, a, a temple to Diana or something like that. It was the, the temple that was ordained and, and, and by the living God and, and uh, dedicated to the worship of the living God. They had that there in their midst in Jerusalem. They had the worship that God ordained for that period. The Levitical priesthood. The sacrifices that God commanded. They didn't know Him. They did not know Him. Say, so how do you know that? Because they did not believe in Jesus Christ. Now, from all outward appearances, I think if you and I um, could have looked upon that, you know, society in that day and just kind of from a distance and watched them. I mean, you see them going up and doing the sacrifices and you see them meeting at the prayer times and doing doing their uh, their prayers and uh, meeting in the synagogues, the temple worship. From all outward appearances, you thought, boy, this, this is a people dedicated to the worship of God. Especially those Pharisees. I mean, those Pharisees, those guys are dedicated. They did not know Him. And here comes a Roman centurion, a Gentile, a dog. That's what they called the Gentiles, what they thought of us. A Gentile dog. And he comes up and says, Lord, I understand. All you have to do is speak a word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled at that. I don't know if this guy ever offered a sacrifice in his life in the temple. He couldn't go into parts of the temple because he was a Gentile. I don't know if he ever attended synagogue. Now, one account tells us that he built a synagogue for the Jews. Regardless of what he participated in, he, ethnic, ethnicity-wise, he was not a Jew. He was not physically, he was not of the seed of Abraham. He's a Gentile. 
but he believed Christ. He had faith. Those who believe on Jesus will love Him and submit to Him because they love Him. Those who love Jesus obey Jesus. Those who have faith love. Those who love obey. So we have two responses here to the authority of Jesus, unbelief and belief. Well, obviously, the proper response is belief. Faith is the and faith is the same thing. Belief, faith, two words for the same thing. Faith is the proper response to Jesus' authority. To love and trust, which. Love and trust manifests itself in obedience. That's the proper response to Jesus' authority. To believe is to love. To believe is to trust. To believe is to obey. To believe is to depend upon. Do you see that in the centurion? Do you see that in the leper who was a Jew? To believe is to depend upon. To believe is to treasure value supremely. Sometimes Jesus would say to a man, follow me. And he'd say, well, wait a minute. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got I to bury my father. Other times, like in the case of Matthew, the tax collector, Jesus would say, follow me. And he's up and out of his chair and after Jesus. To believe is to treasure. Value supremely. To believe is to follow to believe is to apprehend. To believe is to fall upon. Luke twenty-one forty-four. Here's a statement of Jesus' authority. I'm sorry, I don't know why I said Luke. Matthew twenty-one forty-four. <clears throat> Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures, and he quotes from Psalm 118, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Faith is obedience. Verse 44, Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. That's a statement of authority, isn't it? Because he's saying that about himself. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken. It's like you drop a piece of glass on a stone and it shatters. That's what He wants. That's, that's, that's the right response. You fall upon Him and you go to pieces. You're broken. Like a centurion. 
Lord, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. Or like this leper, you're, you're broken, you're desperate. You depend on Him. And the flip side though, but whomever it falls on, on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, Jesus is saying, you, you can fall on me. You can be broken. You can submit to my lordship, to my authority. Or you can be crushed by it. In the last day, at judgment. You see why they were astonished at his teaching? You see why they said, This man speaks with authority. Well, I hate to move through this last part fast, but we're out of time. So let me let me real quickly just say this. Look at these next through a few verses, and back in Matthew eight, verse fourteen, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. Another another display of Jesus' authority. In verse 16, When evening had come, they brought to Him many who were demon-possessed, and He cast out the spirits with a word. There's, there's power in the Word of God. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. That's what Matthew's saying here. The centurion understood that. Just speak the Word. And here Jesus does it. Cast out demons with a word. So he's, he shows his authority over the physical realm. That is, he heals lepers. He, he, he makes fever disappear in an instant. And he shows his authority in the spiritual realm by commanding demons to get out. That's two words. I don't know exactly what he said, but the point is, all he had to do was speak. Why did he do all this? Verse 17, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. He's displaying His authority. And, and here's, here's the correct response, that we would cast our dependence upon Him. That we would be like the centurion. Say, Lord, I can't do anything. I'm unworthy. But I trust in You. I trust in Your authority to do. You've taken my infirmities. You've taken my sicknesses. It's by your stripes that I'm healed. Now, I don't have time to go into this, so let me just say it really really quick here. That passage from Isaiah 
um, is very significant for physical ailments. That's exactly what Matthew applies it to. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's any escaping that. So, uh, let, me, let me say it this way. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying, and I made this statement the other night, I could not say with confidence that it's always God's will to heal in, a, in an individual instance. Um, at least not yet, not here, not now, not necessarily. But our healing physically is a part of His atoning work at Calvary. And if you are not completely healed here, which you, you won't be, because even if you didn't have any kind of a sickness and disease like cancer or whatever... Your body is still moving toward death. It's still deteriorating. But so, so we don't get the fullness of the physical salvation here, but we will get it because <laughs> we'll be changed. We'll have a, a new body that's purchased by Jesus' blood at Calvary. And so Jesus gives us, gives us a foretaste here of what it's going to be like there. No lepers. No fevers, no demons, total healing. Now, all that being said, I, I, these people got it now. So I don't rule that out. They, does Jesus still do miracles today? Yes. Does He still heal miraculously today? I would say yes. Yes. I'm not a cessationist. You know, the cessationist view is... All that's done away with the completion of the New Testament. At least that's one explanation. Um, the problem is, I, I, don't, I don't think you can find that in the New Testament, that teaching. Yes, He can still do that today. And does, I think. But more importantly, if I can put it that way, what can be definitely experienced now is salvation of the soul. Come to Christ in faith. Total dependence upon Him, relying upon Him, relying upon His Word. Like the centurion, you come in faith and say, Lord, you, you said, you said in your Word, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever believes will have eternal life. Whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. Lord, You said that in Your Word. Now, the question is, do, do, do we believe it? To the point that we come to Him humbly, in submission to His Lordship, ready to obey Him. That's what He's calling for. That's what Matthew's calling for. That's why Matthew's emphasizing these things. Jesus is the ultimate authority. He's Lord. Submit to Him. Believe His Word. Obey His Word. Love Him. Worship Him. That's why He went to the cross. to enable us to do that. Would you stand?
Father, we again thank You for making Yourself known. For giving us passages like what we've read here. I am willing. Be clean. For saying things like, He that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. Or, fear not, little flock, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that has not known your salvation, may they surrender now. Submit to your Lordship. Cry out to you for mercy, for salvation. Lord, may all of us learn to take you at your word and live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.